History is like a wheel coming full circle as the theories keep circling, plus some guidance from Pastor Tom. It's all here on our 10th episode of Resurrection Revealed. Thanks again for joining us on Resurrection Revealed, the unofficial podcast and blog for fans and by fans of ABC TV's Resurrection. We've got theories and more. It's all recorded April 2nd, 2014, and glad to have returned, so to speak. I am Wayne Henderson, the voice acting podcasting Green Bay Packers fan. And I'm Troy Heinrichs with great news for Resurrection fans, as you can now order the complete first season of Resurrection a couple of different ways, actually. Plus, you can help out the Resurrection Revealed podcast all at the same time. If you're an Amazon shopper, you can now pre-order the Season 1 DVD via our affiliate link, resurrectionrevealed.com slash season one. That's the number one. Or if you prefer the beauty of resurrection and high definition and all that great green glory, mm. downloads of all or part of Season 1 are on iTunes via our link, at resurrectionrevealed.com slash iTunes season one. Again, all one word with the number one at the end. It's very encouraging that they've already got those available for pre-order, and I think they would be a great keepsake to have of this season. We're going to be talking in great detail all about us against the world and sharing again your listener theories, your feedback, your thoughts, and a very special interview with the actor who plays Pastor Tom Hale on the show. That's Mark Hildreth, and that's coming up in just a little bit, so stay tuned. It is good stuff. Speaking of Pastor Tom, big episode this week for him. Tom, Rachel, and we get to meet the wife as well. Really great dynamic between this love triangle and where it might go from here. Yes, and personally, I think some excellent acting on the parts of everybody involved in this. Uh, I wouldn't call it a love triangle, but there's definitely some issues there. Yeah, because you can't call it a love triangle if one of the people in the triangle doesn't even know the other one exists. True, very true. What a conundrum for a pastor to be in, right? Because even though you know, if you're a Christian, you have this understanding that man is you know, full of sin, right? Including pastors. And clergy folk. And he has this basically withholding of information from his wife, their entire marriage about this previous person. And the reason why he withholds this information is, of course, because he really, really, really loved Rachel. And because of that, is he kind of withholding love or affection or complete commitment to his wife? And what does that say about him as a pastor? That's an excellent question. It's either that or he's just afraid, you know, when he wanted to get re-engaged, that this past engagement might uh, scare away his his now current wife. So either way you look at it, it's unfortunate that he never did tell her because now is not the best time to bring up the whole situation. It's going to be great to see how it all plays out. I, I really feel the emotion in this scene, in the whole situation. So it's kind of a, a lose-lose, but hopefully things can be salvaged and made stronger than ever. Well, another way to think of it, too, is if you consider what Pastor Tom's been through, right? He loses his best friend at eight years old, and then he loses his fiance. You know, maybe he was afraid of losing his wife by sharing this information, like she would leave him. And because of that, he's almost protecting himself by not divulging mm -hmm. the information because he doesn't want to deal with a, a third loss. That's an excellent point. Now, if the river and the water in this river has something to do with all of these folks that are coming back, um, to make sure that he doesn't have any future loss, they might want to just cap off the river so we don't this, end up with this anymore. This is very true. They could uh, rebuild the dam or a second dam even in case the other one breaks like they did back in the 1800s uh, when it flooded downstream. When they were talking about that. But speaking of the river, you know, Rachel, the, the big shock this week, I thought, was the fact that she said, did they all come back to or did they all commit suicide? And I was like totally taken back by that comment because she drove, drove her car off the bridge. And the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, well, they didn't say specifically she drove off the bridge into the river, but we have to assume that she drove it into the river because if 
the car drives off of a cliff or an embankment or it's a it's a bridge that goes over train tracks or something, the car would explode, right? So yes. the old body, I guess what they call it old body, we can't really call it corpse, but the old body would be burned to death, right? So I guess the question becomes, will we see, like we did for Jacob, you know, will we see Rachel look at some kind of remains and those remains would kind of give us the clue as to whether or not they were preserved in water in the river or if they were charred, and that would give us a clue as to if she actually died in the river, which keeps alive our, the river is bringing people back to life theory going. Agreed. That would put the uh, final period at the end of that whole situation. I think it has to be that she drove into the river and that the water has to have something to do with it. I, th- I just think it's implied. I thought what was most interesting about her question about have they did they all commit suicide did she already know? Did Pastor Tom tell her that others have come back as well? I'm trying to remember. Or does she just somehow know? Can she sense them the way that Jacob could sense that uh, Caleb was nearby? I think she mentioned that she that uh, Pastor Tom said, you're not the first. There are others. Oh, okay. And then she said, you know, did they die like me? And it was like, whoa, floored. Because, you know, if I, I'm, I'm, I read the book a while ago now and... I can't remember, but I thought there was a situation in the book where someone had committed suicide and they were like the only family member that had not returned. So I think this was very telling that, you know, even the suicidal type people can come back. So what does this really mean when you think about humanity and what we take, you know, as part of our lives is what we should do as humans and this, you know, gift that we're given to be alive and take that into our own hands to commit suicide you know, she still gets to come back. So how do people feel about that? Will the other returned actually look at her differently because she took her own life? I think that's something they're definitely going to address because that's a good twist on that. At the same time, the more that I think about it, what we discussed on our initial thoughts episode earlier in the week, the fact that it doesn't seem like any of the returned are sleeping or at least not sleeping very much, in addition to the fact that they're all eating a lot. I wonder how that all ties into it. Is it the sleep deprivation that's changing their behavior or is it just something that happens and they don't need as much sleep anymore? Did you think more on that as well? Well, I know that if I eat late at night, having snacks, watching resurrection and the best of the shows on ABC, you know, I don't sleep very well, you know, especially I don't go to sleep when I normally would go to based on my body clock if I eat before bed. So maybe the extra eating is what's causing their no sleep. Now, is that why I saw something from your wife that you were out at the front porch doing repair work at three in the morning? Got to burn off that energy somehow from all the caffeine from those real sugar Mountain Dews and real sugar Coca-Colas. Well, when they say there's not enough hours in the day, this is one way to kind of work around that kind of. Absolutely. But the bigger question is, is that with sleep deprivation or even different nutritional changes in your body, does that change your chemistry Right. when it comes to how you think and how you act? And are these people now acting differently? Even Lucille is starting to think, hey, this isn't the same Jacob as my Jacob, even though he had you know, the epileptic seizures before he died. But she's noticing something different. And then, of course, there was the conversation, I think it was Elaine and Maggie were talking about, well, Caleb never killed anybody before. And now, of course, he blows the guy away in the back of the of the truck during the robbery the second time. And, of course, uh, killed the guy by, by use of his hammer. So I think it's funny that they think he's never killed before. I, I just have a feeling that if he's the type that would already have done a major bank robbery as well as owning that uh, shotgun, I think it was, I just think something else, there may have been some other murderous activity. But either way something is going on with Caleb right now. And I can't believe when he made that phone call and explained to Elaine, you know, I got a real estate deal. I'm going to be gone for a while. Most normal people, their suspicious radar would be going haywire with that kind of phone call, especially after he's only been back to life for a few days. Now he's already got a real estate deal. She is gullible, but I understand she just wants her dad to be there. Well, plus she was bamboozled by him because he brought lunch to work. And she basically was like, oh, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of Ray, and that'll take care of you. So she's already kind of gotten that, you know, wool over her eyes kind of, you know, situation going on. So I think that's why she's like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, kind of makes sense. And the phone call. But 
I, what I thought was interesting of that phone call was the fact that Caleb a little bit actually seemed frustrated with the call. Like he didn't want to make the call. Like he's mm. like, I can't, this is happening again. And he almost feels sorry for the situation. At least that's what the vibe I got is he kind of was like, looked like he was going to throw the phone as he hung it up. I didn't pick up on that. That's cool. Might be very telling. I also wonder more. I can't stop thinking about Ray's comment that he thinks that Caleb and maybe the other returned are aliens. Any more clues from this episode that might support or dispel Ray's thoughts on the whole matter? I'm going to say dispel because I think it's really great how the writers and the producers are using science fiction, UFO kind of stuff in the show to basically throw us off of that scent. Like when they were shining the flashlight in the window as Jacob's looking up at the stars. Oh, that got me. And I was like, oh, and there's the alien light that usually comes down. And yes. uh, and then there's like, he screams and it's something out the window. And then, of course, it's just a flashlight. I was like, really good move. That was pretty funny. Well, there's another theory going around. And I learned about this for the first time, actually. I mean, it's been in history and literature and art for a while. But there is a saying from some paintings like way back in the 1600s. It's called et in Arcadia ego. It's a Latin phrase. And the rough translation of this is basically even in Arcadia, there am I. Mm -hmm. And this phrase is actually on two paintings by Nicholas Poussin. Uh, and they basically feature the fact that there's this shepherd standing by a tomb. And the I in this phrase is considered to be death. And Arcadia is really a rich, fertile valley in Greece at this time. And so Arcadia is considered to be like a utopia or, if you will, a Garden of Eden, where you basically could get away from the city life. You can live in a basically rural uh, area. It's clean and, you know, trees and fruit and all this other stuff, you know. But what I thought fascinating was the interpretation of the two paintings, because in the second painting, it's one of the shepherds standing by the tomb. His buddy is like his shadow is outlined on the tomb. So the other shepherd actually starts drawing his outline on the tomb in like the dust. What? So it's almost it's almost like he's making a copy of his friend, right? He's like painting a, a portrait of his friend on the tomb. So does this actually tie into this at all? Because, you know, Arcadia is very green, it's very life filled, it's very bright. You know, as we've seen the way they're shooting this this show. And then this whole carbon copy concept from last week and of course doing it on the tomb which is where we find the carbon copy of jacob but tying it into this week's episode there was actually some more studies done about this and throughout the renaissance the phrase it at an arcadia ego was actually used as a kind of a code word like a secret society and the secret society was defined as the underground stream it was basically an invisible college of kindred souls who secretly shared their esoteric knowledge with one another, passing it around Europe. Hmm. So I, I thought about this, and I went back to our river theory, and I'm kind of like, hmm, underground stream, river, invisible collage of kindred souls who secretly share knowledge, hmm, kind of like Jacob hmm. saying, feel him. So maybe there's more to this phrase as it's connected into resurrection. It sounds like it applies a lot this is incredible stuff. And this is, I guess, our weekly comparison to Lost because Lost got us looking into a few things that were in Latin. And now they're doing it on this show as well. Um, good catch and good call there, Troy. I had no idea that this was not an area of study that I excelled in. We'll just put it put it that way. But that's, that is eerie that something that old and historic could be playing into uh the story going on here on the show resurrection. That's incredible. Well, I can't take full credit. My, our friends from the real Arcadia, Missouri, uh, from the river Valley board, there actually turned me on to this. And I've been doing some reading over the last couple of weeks about it. And it just starting to piece things together, but yeah, full credit to the folks in the real Arcadia, Missouri. Uh, you can check out our post uh, on the blog at resurrectionrevealed.com to read more about their town and their mission over there excellent well you still get partial credit which is a lot more than what i've got on that part 
Another thing I wanted us to kind of keep an eye out on, okay, is that Caleb, you know, he did say he woke up three days ago in the episode Unearth. And now I did confirm that today. I actually rewatched Unearth just to make sure. And when uh, Maggie and Bellamy are coming in, they do say, he says, you know, I, you know, last thing I remember, I was in my truck and then, uh, you know, you know, three days, you know, I woke up in Portland three days ago. So he did say three days. And Rachel also mentioned something about three days. And of course, funny how if you look into the story of Jesus, that he died and rose from the dead in three days. And I'm just wondering in the back of our minds, is this something that we might be needing to keep an eye on for some of the other resurrected people? Just like, should we watch out for the red clothes? So three days, red clothes, water tie-ins, just stuff to keep an eye on. Right, Troy? Well, and the spiritualism side of this is really interesting because if you think about the river and the fact that, you know, Christians to get rid of their past, if we go back to the Aaron Zellman interview in episode two, mm-hmm. you know, to wash away your old sin, you get baptized by water. And so that might have something to do with these people being reborn, if you will. And then, of course, the red clothes, you know, may symbolize this, you know, other part of the Christian way about communion and the fact that the Last Supper and Jesus gave his blood, and then that's supposed to also wash away our sins. So the color red might tie into the blood concept. I don't know. It's something that uh, we're only midway through the season, so there's still four episodes left for us to try to piece more of this together. So, you know, all in all, how would you rate this episode using our number scale of one to ten? Did you really like this one as much as me? Well, you know, I... I can't give anything a perfect 10 unless I'm literally just blown away, like totally never saw anything coming. And I was sitting at about an eight for most of this episode until the suicide thing came out. So that bumped it up to a nine. So I got nine out of 10 Caleb's rising out of the ashes this week. Well, that's kind of creepy, but a nine's pretty good. Well, for myself, I'm going to give this one a perfect 10. As far as television shows go, 10 out of 10, spinning coffee wormholes, which I also think is something to keep an eye on. Yeah, and we got some really great feedback from some of the listeners coming up after the interview with Mark Hildreth. So we'll talk a little bit about that and some other things um, right after we talk to our good buddy, Mark. He does play Pastor Tom Hale on Resurrection, and we'll get to that interview, which is really, really interesting. So I hope you stay tuned and listen to everything he has to say, because you're going to learn a lot, not only about Pastor Tom, but also about what might really be going on in Arcadia. So stay tuned. Hi, this is Rick Moyer. And this is Amy Moyer. And we are the hosts of Take Him With You. The weekly podcast where we discuss life at the geeky Moyer's home, and then we talk about our faith and how it relates to the world around us very very positive podcast and we think you really enjoy it and i love star trek and heavy metal music and i like star trek kind and of. heavy metal music and i hate heavy metal music <laughs> <laughs> want to hear more of our banter you can by listening to our podcast where can they find it you can find it at takehimwithyou.com or itunes you don't know the power of the podcast take him with you That was kind of like Darth Vader. (laughs) Well, Resurrection fans, we are pleased to have with us another great uh, actor interview. Pastor Tom himself is here, Mr. Mark Hildreth. He is graciously taking some time out to obviously discuss this past episode, Us Against the World. Great stuff in that episode this week, Mark. So I guess our first question for you is the spiritual center of the show. I mean, we've talked about, you know, people coming back from the dead and how this kind of stems up some kind of thought around the spiritual community about, is this taboo? Should we be doing this? When you hear both of those sides coming from this, you know, Christian and secular front, how do you take that and kind of guide that into Tom's character? Because you're dealing with that same kind of situation in Arcadia, are you not? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you started with an easy question. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, it's, you know, that was, that was the thing that, for me, was one of the most interesting parts about this character when I, when I read it at first, you know, there's, there's not a lot of religious characters on TV. You know, I think generally TV tends to steer away from them. And I've done shows before, um, with religious characters and I, and I find what happens, um, sometimes is 
And I, when I talked to the, uh, I spoke with the writers. We have amazing writers, by the way, and it's one of the biggest reasons why Resurrection is as good as it is. And I, I got to speak with the writers <clears throat> at the beginning of the season. I just said, please, please, please don't just make me like a nice guy. You know what I mean? Like just the guy who shows up and gives sage advice and things like that. Like give me a struggle. Let me, let me struggle as a human being. Let me, um, let me connect with that part of Tom that, that needs his faith, that feels he needs his faith as a human being and has human reasons to do that. And so when, uh, you know, when I was working on the backstory of this character and looking at, you know, what would that be like to lose your best friend when you're eight years old? You know, and then later, as, as we found out in the last episode, and that's against the world, you know, to lose the love of your life, for her to kill herself, you know, like a month before your wedding. You know, what would that do to a person? I, I did a lot of research. I spent a lot of time with a, with a, a whole number of Christian ministers in, in Atlanta where we shot the series, and they were amazing. They were wonderful, and they were so open about their experience and their beliefs and their feelings and why, how and why they relate with their faith. Because I'm, I'm not, a, personally, I'm not particularly religious in any particular way. Uh, I actually, I find a, a certain degree of, of truth and meaning in, in a number of different religious perspectives and also non-religious perspectives. So I really wanted to know, you know, what makes this guy tick? And that's what I came to. And I, I feel I'm so fortunate because, as I said, we have such good writers and they've written such rich human material for this guy to struggle with. And they put him in the worst possible position, <laughs> you know? where here's a guy who's been, you know, preaching the miracles of God for 10 years. And then when a real miracle shows up and is standing right in front of him, you know, like any human being, he, he can't really believe that it's true. So Tom goes into a whole crisis of faith and what makes it really challenging and what's going to be more and more challenging as the series goes on is that not only is he a man of faith, but he's a leader in the community. And so his decisions and his point of view have effects on all the people in this town, you know, and there's, there's some wonderful stuff coming up, uh, you know, in, in the, in the later episodes where he really has to face all the different perspectives. And there's just like in, you know, in, in real life, there's, there's people, you know, way out on the, on the more fundamentalist side with respect to what's going on in, in, in the world of resurrection with people coming back from the dead um, and then there's more moderate people, and there's there's all kinds of different perspectives. And Tom has to not only negotiate his his role as a leader and his responsibility to uh, these people that he's taken on as his as his congregation, as his flock, so to speak, but also deal with his own personal issues, with you know the love of his life who has now come back, and what's it going to do to his marriage, and and dealing with you know his long lost best friend, which I decided was the reason he became a pastor in the first place. Oh, okay, so you were saying, Mark, that you've been a pastor on the show for about 10 years. Rachel's been gone around 12 years. So you weren't really a pastor at the time of Rachel's passing. So you think maybe it was more the absence of Jacob that led you to go into that line of work on the show? Or was Rachel an additional trigger that really pushed you into that line of work? Yeah, that's a really good question. That's something that I, I, I struggled with, you know, um, it's one of the it's one of the most it, the best parts of being an actor is, is being able to create a backstory and create a person. You know, you're building a personality. You're building a, a character from from the ground up. And our source material, my source material, the scripts are are so rich that there was a lot of um, work that that needed to be done. Of how did this guy get to where he's at? And I decided that um, <clears throat> actually that when Tom was little, and you know, I imagined that him and Jacob were like attached at the hip, like best, yeah. best, best friends, like your best friend ever, you know, like spent every day together. I decided that, you know, I was at his house. He was at my house. We were playing in the backyard. We were down by the river. You know, I imagined that I was there at that river many, many, many times with him that he drowned in. You know, little kids like don't know anything about the world. Really. You know, you're just, everything's play and everything's fun. And then suddenly the fun is just gone. And I decided that that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be something that would push him towards, you know, more of a, a, a search for meaning or a search for faith. At that age, I think that would just shake you to your core. So that later, when he loses someone else, when he loses really the love of his life, he really has a drive to 
find meaning and, and has a lot of questions and that he then went and found those questions, found the answers to those questions for him in his faith. The beautiful thing about getting to play Tom is that the way that uh, his, the character develops is his faith is, is shaken to the core. The very answers that he needed, you know, to really survive and like feel okay with, in the face of these tragedies in his life is shaken to the core when, when you know, they come back and now it's like, well, what did that all mean? You know, that I, that I made those decisions. And it's a beautiful sort of an arc or a story to play with a character where they think they've found their heart. You know, they think they've found their, their answers, their truth. And then something happens that really shakes you, where it really makes you question everything you believe. And I think that's, that's kind of thematically, you know, philosophically, that's the draw of Resurrection. That's what's great about Resurrection as a TV series, is it, it really takes you through that sort of experience of questioning. Like, what if you, what if you did have to question everything you believe? Because everyone can relate to that. You know, everybody's lost somebody. Everybody can relate to that, those really deep questions that we all have to face, you know, one way or another. And is that probably why he's so reluctant at first in that kind of pilot second episode to, to make bonds with Jacob because that original loss is really more, it's not him as the pastor kind of going, okay, what does this all mean? It's really more of the, I don't want to get attached again and have something ripped away again. Is that the reluctance there that we're seeing? Well, that's definitely the reluctance with Rachel. Um, you know, there's an aspect of that for sure that I don't think he feels... I don't know that he knows if he has the strength or not to go through that. But, but yeah, absolutely, with, with Jacob, too. I think with Jacob, it's, he's the first one. So he's the first one to, you know, in the storyline to sort of return. To me, what I think happens for Tom and for a number of the characters is it really dredges up all of those, you know, scars, those emotional scars that, you know, you, we do our best, you know, to, to deal with the loss of people in our lives. And you, you know, you, you sort of muddle through, I guess. Everybody's sort of doing their best to deal with those things when they happen. And, uh, you know, I've had that happen in my life uh, a couple of times. You know, you do your best to, to try to move on, but I don't know if that scar ever ultimately heals. You know, if you can really ever totally come to terms with you know, life and death. So when I think when Jacob comes back, it, it brings, it sort of opens the wounds again and shows you, you know, okay, there's more to work on here. There's more to deal with. There's more to look at. There's more to face. And emotionally, it's like, man, that's like a minefield. And it makes for the best drama. You know, it makes for the most interesting stuff to watch. You see someone go through and struggle with those kind of questions, you know? Oh, absolutely. And ever since the show premiered about a month ago, um, not just a shameless thing, but really Tom Hale has been my uh, favorite character on Resurrection. So we're glad we finally get to talk to you about him because it is a fascinating way that you have to look for the balance in all of the things going on there. And I do want to remind everybody listening that we are talking with uh, Mark Hildreth, who plays Pastor Tom Hale on Resurrection. Now, you mentioned earlier, Mark, that you've played some religious characters on shows in the past, most notably Cardinal Pole on The Tudors, and so now you've got Catholicism and Protestant under your belt. How do you kind of apply this knowledge to your own views and how humans should maybe interact with each other and how it relates to how maybe Arcadians should interact with each other? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how I ended up with this, but I seem to be getting the whole gamut of <laughs> religious perspectives, which is, it's really, it's really wonderful actually. And I, you know, I hadn't been in all honesty, I, I you know, I did go to church when I was uh, when I was little, more of a Sunday school. And I don't think, you know, like any little kid, I, I don't think I really grasped, you know, exactly what was going on and what everyone was talking about. It was wonderful. I got to go back into uh, uh, one of the biggest uh, Baptist churches in Atlanta when we were shooting the pilot, and I went to the Sunday service, which was wonderful. And, and, and you know, what the, the head pastor there was speaking about was really beautiful. And I started to reread the Bible you know, I'm reading what, what Jesus is, is quoted as having said, and it's, it's fantastic. You know, like, he, he, the things that he said are, are, are beautiful and, and very uh, moving and profound. And I know there's a lot of, you know, religious, you know, our arguments 
there, there's a lot of dichotomy, you know, from, from a religious standpoint between religions and between people who are religious and not religious. You know, I went up and introduced myself to the, the, the head pastor after his service and, you know, um, took him out for lunch and he was wonderful and a man named uh, Doc Hollingsworth uh, in Atlanta, you know, answered all my questions and really was very helpful. And I got to, you know, get a glimpse into, you know, different points of view different points of view outside of my own. And, I mean, to answer your question, I don't know if there's a way that people should be. I do think that, you know, there's there's a lot of that around, people believing or even myself, you know, believing we should be this or we should be that. But I, I, my, my personal view on it is, I think to, to really uphold people and be the most humanitarian that you can be, it's important to look at things from many different points of view, especially the point of view that you believe is the wrong one. Maybe you think, you know, this is how people should be, and I think it's important, really important, that we look at uh, the opposite perspective. Okay, if I think people should be this way, what's the opposite of what I think? Because that's an equally valid point of view, even though it may not be a view that you espouse. And that's something that I tried to practice as I was working on this character, and one of the things that I, that I really was excited about exploring with this character because, like I said, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a particular religious bent, so I don't feel vested about proving that one religious point of view is better or more valid than another one. And I got to really get a glimpse into the lives of, of people who really, for whom this, this particular religious point of view is, is very important, that they find a lot of meaning in. But I'm, I'm equally as respectful, or I try to be as equally as respectful, to the point of view of you know, someone who's an atheist or someone who's not a Christian, or for whatever their point of view is. And that is a much more, I think, challenging stance to take, you know, to try to be inclusive and not exclusive of people's point of view and to really try that on and, and where it comes up against what you feel, you know, has to be the truth or has to be right. And that's, that's what I feel like is, is Tom's struggle. I, I play Tom as a... I guess in some ways a sort of a moderate progressive pastor. And so he has to struggle with everybody in the whole spectrum of, of religious and non-religious points of view and try to take everybody's point of view in and, and find a, uh, you know, a way of, of being together as human beings in a nonviolent way. In my opinion, that seems to be like the bottom line um, with respect to how I interpret the Bible is, you know, Try to get along and don't hurt each other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what Jesus said, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And if we can just do that, which it doesn't seem like the Arcadians are going to be doing here as we progress into the coming episode. <laughs> I don't want to give I, anything away, but uh, yeah, there's, there's, definitely some, uh, there's definitely some conflict coming down the road, yeah. And we've already seen it, right, with you and Helen talking there in the church and just how the church actually feels about your position as the pastor. I thought that scene with Veronica Cartwright was just absolutely fantastic going back and forth. Thank you. Kind of with that same vein, you know, a lot of people are asking the question, do we read Jason Mott's novel? Do we not read Jason Mott's novel based on you know, where we are with the show? <laughs> and of course, this, the pastor, former girlfriend concept is in that novel. Did you take any of your preparation from that at all? You know, I, I actually chose, purposely chose not to read Jason's book until after we finished the first season. And I, I just, I'll say, I want to say Jason's book is beautiful. It's like poetry. Um, it's, it was such a wonderful jumping off point for a television series and really was, you know, the, uh, the, the impetus for this whole thing. And, and Jason um, is a wonderful writer and a wonderful man, and he came out and spent time with us and spent time with the cast, and he was so generous. And so um, he just wanted to help, and he was very flexible about, you know, I wrote this book, and, and, you know, whatever that means to you guys, whatever you want to take from it, whatever works, go with it and run with it, and whatever doesn't work, you know, don't worry about it. Make a great show. You know, don't necessarily, you don't have to stick to, you know, what I, what you might think I would want. He was really fantastic with us. The series uses the book as a jumping off point, but it's, it's really not the same as the book. The book starts much, much farther in the future than we begin in the story uh, uh, on resurrection. And yeah, there are, there are definitely some similarities for my character and the the pastor in the book, the, the pastor in the book is, is a very different person than, uh, than my character. You know, he's described as like a mountain of a man. I'm not exactly a mountain of a man. Uh, maybe I'm a, uh, you know, a, 
a reasonably sized hill, but uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a mountain of a man. So he's he's very different, and, and uh, the whole backstory with his his uh, fiance or ex fiance is it has a, has many differences than what we're doing also. But I, I got to say, when I when I did, I, I wanted to create a a world and a point of view and and a and a tone with resurrection that really lived on its own. So I chose to wait. And so when I finally got around to reading Jason's book, it was it was really wonderful to have gone through that journey and then see the characters through his eyes and see what he um, brought to them. And there's there's a lot of there's some similarities, but there's a lot of differences. But it's such a beautiful book, and I was so proud when I heard you know even before the show came out, you know Jason's book was like on the number one bestsellers list, and he's just such a wonderful guy. It's so great to see people like that who uh, you know who have success. You know, when, when the good ones, you know, break through it, it's, uh, I find that always really heartening. Absolutely. And I have not read the book myself just yet. I'm saving it till at least after this first season of Resurrection. Now, Mark, I wanted to switch gears just a little bit. Um, you've, of course, done some other television. You were on ABC's V, but you also do a lot of voice acting work as well with like Voltron Force, Gundam Wing, and some video games. Which one do you find your passion more steered toward? You know, I love them both. I, it's a little bit of a Sophie's choice. I mean, I've, I've always been, um, I was lucky to get into voiceovers when I was, when I was little, when I was 10 years old, uh, this fantastic voiceover director named Marsha Goodman, who's been, you know, a family friend ever since then, you know, gave me my first job in, in, in a cartoon doing a voiceover. And it's so much fun. I mean, I, I you know, it, it's not, uh, I, I was classically trained. I studied in the theater and I, you know, I studied Shakespeare and, and all those things, and I went to a great school. I went to the National Theater School, which is in Canada, and is really a fantastic uh, diamond in the rough up there. I worked with some of the best people in the world. I, I love the theater. Um, the theater has something in it that is, you know, unique because it's really the, the actors are the ones responsible for telling the story more so than any other medium. But I, I love voiceovers because it's just so much fun, and the whole point of it is to, is to be fun. So, you know, you can go to work. It's the only job where you can go to work in your pajamas. You know, I'm mean, get to work with all these, uh, all these crazy people uh, who just love to have fun. And that's, and that's what it's all about. And as a little kid, that was, you know, that was the greatest. That was just the greatest thing ever. And I, uh, I was lucky to work with some really fantastic voiceover actors early in my career, like uh, Maurice LaMarche and Billy West and David Kay and uh, just these fantastic people. And over the years, you know, I, I, I've done... I've done uh, a lot of stuff in voiceover. I really enjoy it. You know, I got to say there is something to, you know, getting the the meat of Shakespeare that really moves me in a way that uh, is very, you know, dear to my heart and very different than, you know, doing a cartoon. And then we've been doing kind of a rapid fire segment just to kind of see, you know, a little bit more background on Tom's character and how we could go from there. Answer the question as, you know, your response and then Tom's response. So favorite color? Uh, My favorite color is blue. You know, I'd have to say probably Tom's favorite color is blue. If you watch the show, he's in blue a lot. He's kind of got like, the, he's got the market cornered on blue somehow in the show. <laughs> it can't be all the blue stuff. How about your favorite movie, Mark, and what you think Tom's favorite movie might be? My favorite movie, I'd have to say, it's so hard to pick a favorite movie, but, you know, if I had to say one that edges out the other ones, I'd have to go with 2001. That's just the greatest movie. I've ever seen. It's just, just blows my mind every time I see it. Tom's favorite movie. I'm going to go with the mission starring Robert De Niro. Favorite season of the year. Mine is fall. And I would have to say, well, I love fall because I think it's the most romantic season of the year. And uh, like I said, I went to school in Montreal and it's just, it is the most romantic place in the world in the fall. It's just beautiful. I love the East you know, the East coast of Canada and the U S in the fall, but, uh, probably I'd probably say Tom's favorite season probably would be spring because it's new life. Hmm. Very well put. That ties into the show perfectly. And, uh, Mark, if you could have one person come back to life, uh, who would it be? And do you have a question in mind that you might ask them? You know, I, I, uh, I'd have to say, my uh, my grandparents on my mom's side, they were both born deaf, and, and I uh, I learned sign language when I was, you know, very young. 
so that I could talk to them. And they were, I'd have to say, the most expressive people you'd ever meet. I think the funniest people I've ever known. Just the best sense of humor. And I guess I wouldn't really ask them something in the traditional sense, but, uh, you know, just there's that, there's that kind of wink, you know, and your grandpa gives you that just makes you laugh every time. And I think if I could have someone come back, I'd probably be him and just, just to see that little wink again. Fabulous. And then, of course, it's a fan podcast, and the fans love you, Mark. So any upcoming projects or charities that the fans can get behind that we can promote for you here on Resurrection Revealed? So I would love it for everybody to just uh, drop by uh, uh, markshildreth.com. I'm a musician. I'm a singer as well as an actor, and uh, I've got a couple of records that I made um, that are out, uh, you know, available through the website and at uh, iTunes. That's always where I, you know, keep all the fans updated as to what I'm up to. So there's always a number of things going on. So uh, drop by markhilders.com and you can always uh, get the updates. Perfect. Thank you so much, uh, Mark, for spending some time with us on the Resurrection Revealed podcast. We've learned a lot more about you and uh, some good insights to your character, Pastor Tom Hale. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, supporting us. And uh, that means a lot to have you guys uh, behind the show. Thank you, Mark. It's been great, and hopefully we can uh, solve your mystery of which women you're going to choose. <laughs> you can solve it, too. Thanks, guys. You bet. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we can talk again season two. Great. Well, that was certainly some really interesting information from Mark Hildreth. Again, awesome that he spent some time with us, the fans, to talk about Pastor Tom, You know, and e- even a little bit about his faith. I mean, it was kind of fitting to actually play the Take Him With You promo before the interview as well at TakeHimWithYou.com, you know, getting a little spiritual tonight, I think. And uh, I, I really like the fact that he was talking about how you have to take a look at, you know, both sides of the equation, not just what you believe and what you think is the right thing, but, you know, also take a look at it from the other side and just try to live harmoniously. And I'm, I'm really curious to see, you know, which Arcadians are with the returned and which Arcadians are not with the returned as the show moves forward. Yeah, it's bound to be a pretty close to 50-50 split if uh, other television shows and their methods tie into it. But it was so great for uh, Mark Hildreth to spend some time with us and learned a lot more about him as well as maybe some insights into his character of Pastor Tom. So that was just awesome. I'm going to have to replay that myself because uh, all of the things he's involved with, and we'll have links again at the show notes here at resurrectionrevealed.com slash mark which uh, we'll have the link to his website, markhildreth.com, and his music. He's got a lot going on, and his website is sharp looking. Yeah, I was out there today playing around, and it looks really, really awesome. So I hope everybody checks out the songs, you know, follows Mark, and then, of course, you know, spread the word because everybody should hear this interview. So if you're a Resurrection fan, just go ahead and follow us on Twitter. Resurrection Pod is the handle. Find the tweet, send it out, spread the word, because we want to make sure everybody can listen to what Pastor Tom has to say. Absolutely. And speaking of listening, we got a first-time caller here on the listener voicemail line with an excellent theory. Check this. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Troy. This is Kathy Kelly calling in with a theory I have uh, regarding us against the world. Caleb and Jacob are both having similar symptoms. They're eating a lot. They are having problems sleeping, and it struck me. I'm the mother of two, and I remember when my children were younger, it always seemed that right before a growth spurt, a physical growth spurt, they had the same thing, eating all the time and having trouble sleeping and irritability, that sort of thing. And I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if this is some sort of indication that Caleb and Jacob are both heading toward some sort of growth spurt, if not physical. Is it something spiritual? Is it toward some new uh, revelation in terms of what they are, why they're there, or perhaps an increase in some power of some kind? And uh, it just struck me that, okay, those symptoms are indicative of some sort of growth that is to come. Thanks so much for the show. I can't wait for the full show coming Wednesday for us against the world. Bye now. Kathy, thank you so much for recording that and sending that in. That's the first I've heard of that type of theory. That is fantastic. What do you think, Troy? I absolutely think something's growing and it's going to be growing in the way of more resurrected people coming to Arcadia. And I think what we're doing here is just stocking up on calories for a really giant battle 
that's going to take place. Now, do you think whether it's a spiritual growth for the returned or maybe some sort of physical internal growth, do you think it's mostly just going to be happening with Caleb and Jacob and they're kind of like in some way going to be the leaders of the returned? Yeah, I think each return is a little bit different. I think they all kind of play their own cards, but there are some people who are like, you know, I don't know why I'm back. You know, take Rachel, for example, because she committed the suicide versus Caleb, who seems very sure of himself on why he's there. You know, and then you take a look at the scene with Sam in the house, you know, during that second episode, you know, and who's he talking to, right? And then you have Caleb in the factory, and he says the same line that he said to Elaine on the porch, you know, all right, you know, it's us against the world. So is he just kind of paying homage to that scene from the beginning of the episode? Or is he actually talking to a group of people that are already there hiding out in the factory? After rewatching that again, I'm wondering if he, I think he's just by himself and he's just, for whatever reason, he seems to be closer to his daughter than to Ray. And he's just reliving, telling her it's us against the world. I think he still thinks it's him and Elaine against the world. But on the other hand, like he uh, told um, Sheriff Fred, or was it uh, Agent Bellamy, one of the two, he told them how it's just beginning. So on that hand, I can't wait to see what else is going to happen that he's kind of foreshadowing. It's it's going to be big. Well, we'll take some uh, email feedback, I guess, next, right? So Max Power 44 wrote in and he said, when Jacob was in bed looking at those stars that we mentioned, those darn kids sneaked by to see the ghost boy, which is a really interesting term because yeah. he's not really a ghost because he's flesh and bones and he's there. So again, here's our sides being drawn right there, you know, calling people names, if you will. They shine their flashlights through the window, and then right in between where those stars were, there were no stars. So if you know anything about space, the absence of stars in space is considered a black hole. And I got to thinking, I was like, I didn't catch that at first, but when you think about the swirling coffee scene, mm-hmm. you know, where it just keeps going around and going around, it's very dark in the middle until he pours the cream in. You know, that looked like a black hole, obviously. And then, of course, there's that circular imagery then again, coming back from the commercial break in the doctor's office where Caleb's playing or where Jacob's playing with the toy and it's spinning around and around again, like no escape. Right. So if you think about black holes, you know, and it's the gravity well is pulling you into the black hole. So is it a symbolism of, you know, you can't escape your past. You're going to always be doomed to repeat what you've already done in the sense of Caleb with a bank robbery and you can't get away from that and you're getting sucked into what you've done before or is it truly everybody's going to get sucked in and to some kind of change because we never know what is on the other side of a black hole because we can't survive the gravity but it may be something utopian like arcadia that's excellent uh thank you so much uh max power 44 for sending that in i didn't notice those other things of course after reading through some of the emails and hearing the voicemails that came in, rewatching the episode, and I'm like, I can't believe I didn't see that the first time it came in. <laughs> hey guys, this is Jeff Gentry, X Force Eleven, with some thoughts on resurrection. Um, here's my thought on the people coming back. They're all people coming back that have unfinished business, that didn't have closure. So far, we haven't seen anybody who's come back with who died of natural causes. Um, you know, and, you know, at a quote-unquote normal time. Second thought about the red. Um, I was thinking about the Avengers where Black Widow talked about that she had red in her ledger that she wanted to get cleared out. Um, these people have unfinished business. They have red in their ledger, things that they want to or need to correct, whether for good or for evil. So uh, those are my thoughts. Uh, enjoying the series. Glad it's going well and hope it gets a second season. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Bye. Red in the ledger. That is awesome. Thank you, Jeff Gentry. I can't believe I missed that. I feel absolutely, utterly stupid now. But that is a really, really good point. Um, Caleb, I don't know, because Caleb, technically, I think he would have been considered dying of natural causes, right? He had a heart attack. Now, the heart attack may have been accelerated because of the situation with robbing the bank and digging up the holes and burying the money because we did get that flashback 
that he started grabbing his arm while he was digging the holes uh, in the, I believe it was the second episode. And then, so he really didn't have the heart attack in the truck, or maybe he did, maybe he pulled away, but he started to have the heart attack as he was digging out the holes. But yeah, Jacob for sure, you know, died before his time. And then of course, you know, Rachel taking it into her own hands. So unfinished business, completely agree with that theory. And that I agree. Uh, you and Jeff, uh, great stuff. Thanks again, Jeff, for calling in to uh, 904-469-7469. This is why we love having the listeners involved because the thoughts that you come up with and share with Troy and I here on the show add to it and just help give us a better picture of what might really be going on, don't you think? Absolutely. And because of that, we'll just keep going with it because it's so much fun stuff this week. Oh, yes. Uh, Our good friend Ray, not Ray on the show, a different Ray, our good friend Ray from Twitter, uh, he writes in and says, well, as far as the show goes, we don't know who the us refers to. You could actually think of us as US even, and maybe it's a country to country thing. Hmm. If you think about it, that's my opinion, not Ray's. Um, I believe that they are thousands of resurrected who will be isolated from the general population in a camp, like uh, a camp maybe near or in Arcadia. Before Caleb was taken into custody, he seemed to be talking to somebody. I think that there were more resurrected in the building. Why didn't Fred and Martin search the building? It's just not like the, them to see who Sam may have been talking to or at least walk around and figure out. It's basically the same kind of situation like we said about Sam talking to someone else inside the house mm-hmm. uh, back in episode two. Now, Jacob opens up some... Like Caleb, I don't think Jacob's basic behavior has changed from his original life. In his original life, Jacob had uh, epilepsy. It would have caused some negative reactions from other people in in the town and the community in his life. But then in his resurrected life, he's still experiencing the same reaction from his dad and others. So he believes that this will cause him to be taken away. Uh, The resurrected don't seem to change from what they were in the past. Jacob's basically good. Caleb's basically bad. Uh, how will they convict Caleb? That's a really good question since, you know, he's dead in the system. So, you know, what do you run your fingerprints and DNA matches against? Mm. You know, after all, they don't even know if he's human. You know, so more people still thinking either clones or sci-fi related. And I think the resurrected are human and should be accountable for their behavior. Uh, poor Tom's in a pickle now. His wife's upset with the past relationship with Rachel. We know how the church will react and still deeply cares about Rachel so it's definitely more than a friendship, and I think that's going to be some rocky waters for him to navigate through because the church is already mad at him, you know, from those scenes with Helen. Uh, he finishes up with, uh, if the entire world is falling into turmoil, reacting to the resurrected, why is Caleb the only one in Arcadia who knows what's happening? Don't people in Arcadia watch the news? <laughs> that's why he thinks, Ray thinks, that Gary Humphrey and his friends weren't just hunting there by the river when they came upon Maggie and Martin. They may be already looking for resurrected people to take out. And I agree with that one there. Definitely, Ray. Thanks for uh, sending that in. That uh, I think that Gary Humphrey knows at least a little something and wants to continue with his uh, little posse or whatever he's got going on. So, And to find out that uh, the guy that got killed with the hammer, that's his cousin, I really think that's going to put Gary Humphrey into high gear, too. Absolutely. Hell hath no fury than a family member scorned. Especially in a small town. And something that Ray alluded to near the beginning, you know, if if it turns out that there's going to be a large amount of the resurrected that they might be put into an isolation camp outside of Arcadia, you know, like we do on Under the Dome Radio, I think a giant dome over all these people would keep them uh, concealed pretty well. Just saying. And again, is that for their protection because people are going to be coming after the resurrected or is that to protect us because they're coming after us at the end of the day? I know that that's the ultimate question because so far it's almost 50, 50, you know, I I think there's nothing to be afraid of from Jacob unless he has some hidden disease that uh, is going to come get the rest of us from beyond but Caleb, I think uh, a lot of people need to be protected from that guy and not sure on the others yet whether uh, they're going to be a danger of any sort. But uh, the fact that she committed suicide once, 
what if she does it again? Will would she uh, be able to return again, Rachel? That's a really good question. I have no idea. I, and what were the circumstances for the suicide in the first place? Why did she drive herself off the bridge? What was so bad about her life that she wanted to kill herself? Oh, exactly. And she, in her description of it, made it sound like it wasn't planned. She was just driving along, and all of a sudden, she thought that it might be in, in a way out, which it never is. And uh, now she's back and has to grapple with it a little further. So things are going to get a little complicated. There's no doubt about that. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling into Resurrection Revealed for Resurrection Episode 4, Us Against the World. Uh, one of the best lines in the show, I thought, was uh, Sheriff saying, you realize you two are finishing each other's sentences uh, and talking to Maggie and Agent Bellamy. So it looks like the two of them are getting uh, a little close here. Uh, Sheriff is starting to trust uh, the agent in this episode as uh, his theory that Caleb was the robber in the past and the murderer now appears to pay off. How Rachel, we learned, uh, also woke up three days ago. This was in a cornfield in Parrishville, New York. Uh, Google Maps gives it an 18-hour drive to Arcadia. Uh, I can't remember which Portland Caleb is supposed to have come from, but Portland, Maine is 21 hours away, while Portland, Oregon would be 32 hours away. It was uh, 12 years since uh, Rachel killed herself. She'd driven a car off the bridge, presumably into a river. Again, we have that water connection of that river. Uh, she hated herself for falling short of what she felt were Tom's expectations. Uh, Pastor Tom is married to Janine now, and who feels threatened by Rachel's return since Tom had never mentioned her before. Uh, Jacob can feel Caleb when they drive past this hiding place, and we're going to have to wait for another episode to see whether Caleb can feel Jacob or anyone can feel Rachel. Caleb's words at the end, it's just beginning, indicates that he at least feels that more people are returning. There's some connection there. Uh, we learned in the episode that Ray is a mechanical genius, and it'll be interesting to see that pay off down the line. Another exciting episode of Resurrection. Looking forward to the next. Neil, thank you so much uh, for sending that in and doing the checking on the mileage. I hadn't even thought of the, just because I'm here on the West Coast, I didn't think of the option of Portland, Maine. That seems to make a lot more sense that that's where Caleb would have popped up. Yeah, I think that's a really good call out too, because I was always thinking Portland, Oregon as well. So maybe it's an East Coast thing. I would think so, because uh, to travel basically hitchhiking to get to Arcadia I think if it was Portland, Oregon, it would have taken him even further. He would have run into, and knowing Caleb, he would have run into some sort of trouble with the law or with somebody that was giving him the ride, I would only think. But Neil also brought up an interesting point about expectations and the fact that uh, that Rachel may have thought she wasn't living up to Tom's expectations. And that might have, I didn't even catch that, but that's a good catch because does he seem like the type that would, give off the vibe that he has certain expectations, at least nothing I've seen of him yet, but we're bound to get some flashbacks. Well, it could have been that he was too clingy. You know, maybe he was suffocating a little bit because of the fact that he lost as, you know, as Mark Hildreth mentioned in the interview, you know, he was worried, you know, because he lost his best friend. You know, so maybe the clinginess was suffocating her and that was her quote unquote way out that she was talking about. Time will tell. Stuff's really going to start moving based on the trailers and sneak peeks for this coming Sunday's episode. So buckle up. <laughs> that is all that we can say about that, because I know some people are even more spoiler free than uh, we are. I, I avoid reading anything online or any of the inside information. But when the episode ends, I'm so sucked into what's going on. I just have to watch the promo for the next episode. I, I can't not. <laughs> is, is that a strange habit to have? No, not at all. Not at all. We want to send out a special thanks uh, before we wrap up this episode. You know, all of our MP3 podcast files, they're hosted with a company called Libsyn. I've actually been using them since 2005. But I want to give them a special thank you because Libsyn has their own official podcast called The Feed, and they played our Resurrection Revealed commercial promo this past week, uh, sharing the love of this show and the way that we like to produce it and sharing it with a bunch of other podcasters that listen to that. Yeah, we also want to thank Alan Joyce's Lost Flight 815. It's our one lost tie-in for tonight. Uh, they, they're great podcast. They kind of talk about the show as they watch it. Uh, they play at our promo as well. So thanks, Alan Joyce. Keep up the good work. 
Absolutely. We greatly appreciate it. And if anybody else has a podcast or a radio program and you want to play our promo, it's linked to on our website. Feel free to share that at will. <laughs> you know, Resurrection Revealed's not affiliated with ABC Television or Plan B. And being that we're a fan podcast, you know, we do have some costs in keeping the website running, the feed of great episodes and interviews coming your way. So if you love what you're hearing from us, go ahead and head over to resurrectionrevealed.com slash support. You know, maybe consider sending us a one-time donation or a monthly ongoing donation just to show how much you love Resurrection Revealed and you want to keep it rolling. And don't forget, every Sunday after the East Coast airing at 10.30 Eastern, 9.30 Central, 7.30 Pacific, we do have our live chat. We did have one of the actors join us this past week. You never know who's going to pop in. So make sure you head over to resurrectionrevealed.com slash live 30 minutes after the show ends. And we'd love to see you all there. Until that time, I'm Troy. And I'm Wayne. We'll see you next time on Resurrection Revealed. Resurrection Revealed is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Like our Welcome to Level 7 podcast, a fan podcast for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show on ABC, and also the Sci-Fi show, a carefully blended look at science fiction and philosophy. Be sure to subscribe today. This and even more great content is waiting for you at noodle.mx.